are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings, happy Friday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show here on Westwood One, the podcast edition powered by CRTV. And it is a glorious Friday. It is a Friday 10 years. 10 years in the making, gentlemen. You know why that that's the case, right? You know why. Avengers Age of Ultron. Yes. No. That's the last movie. Oh, whatever this one is. <laughs> Holy dude code <laughs> violation to lead off the show. Uh, we will be right back after this vlogging. Thank you. <laughs> I forgot the name of this one. Uh, uh, you know what they say about war. when you're digging yourself a hole, right? Keep digging till you come out in China. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is a glorious Friday. I have an 11-year-old boy right now on tilt. On tilt. So this is, you know, it's like when Return of the Jedi came out when we were about 10 or 11 years old, Todd. It is... This is like the culmination of a childhood moment right now for little Noah. You talk about your superhero, uh, your uh, Superman memory. More distinct than I remember what it felt like walking out of Return of the Jedi more than any movie as a kid. I just and, and you know, looking back, oh, Ewoks. But now at the time, I mean, I, all that I, mattered was watching Luke Skywalker open a can. That's all that I, mattered. I was eight. Uh, I mean, I was ten. Uh, I think eighty-three. Yeah, ten and eighty-three. So I mean, I. It was everything. Yeah, that's where Noah's at right about now. Kid is on tilt. Okay. So we're going to see it right after we get done here uh, today for Westwood One and CRTV. We love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. If you're not yet a subscriber to CRTV, today is a good day to sign up, as is any day, because we have the Dace Group Roundtable. That's always one of our most enjoyable, most watched shows each and every week. So CRTV.com, use my name for a promo code. If you're not yet a subscriber to CRTV, you'll get a discounted subscription that'll give you access to not just our program, but all of the shows we do each day here at CRTV. CRTV.com, promo code DACE. And speaking of feedback to the inbox, I got a, a ton of emails about my stalker dilemma from earlier in this week. Can I provide a quick update on Absolutely. this? Do you have any more stalkers? Because uh, I have, I, I've, I've tried to answer as many people individually as I can. It's getting difficult the more we get in. Um, I So here's the update. I sent a note after we left the show on Tuesday. I sent a note to management. Excellent. And you liked the note that I sent because I showed Excellent. it to you, right? Yes. All right. And I basically said, I'm done apologizing. I, I, I was polite about it. Yeah. I, I shouldn't have to pay to be berated like this. I bring my children to this gym. And I just, you know, I, I, I need to know if this situation is going to be dealt with or not. I didn't threaten to leave or right. anything like that. I just, I just said, hey, where are we at? And the manager, who's a really nice gal, uh, emailed me back and was a pretty nice email. Yeah. Uh, with one thing that kind of made my spidey senses tingle, and it's no fault of hers. And she said, well, you know, at some point, you're right. This should not happen at the gym. I'll figure out, I'm going to find out what's going on here. And maybe at some point, I'd like to have you guys maybe just sit down and see if we can iron this Dude. out. And that was the part where I said, uh, danger, <laughs> Will Robinson, danger. We will not be sharing our feelings. Yeah. That's cool again, by the way. Have you seen that? I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but there's a Lost in Space remake on Netflix right now. I've I know it exists. So. You haven't seen it yet either. No. All right. I'm gonna maybe get a chance to see it. And I, right now, it's all NFL draft and all Avengers at uh, my house. All right. So draft. I was up till midnight last night watching everything on the NFL draft that I could. Ugh. And or, uh, Noah and I have been watching every YouTube video that is that has no spoilers on the Avengers this whole week. So that's my whole house right now. Is, is there's no other than you know obviously the stories we are focused on here in the show like Alfie Evans. Uh, I mean in terms of my free time, sure. it's all been the NFL draft and the Avengers this week. So I'm I'm hoping to get to the Lost in Space remake here pretty soon, but I, I emailed back the manager and said I, I have a much simpler solution. I just want this woman to act like I don't exist. That's all. And we don't need to sit down. We don't need to talk. You don't need to get involved. I just needed to, I'm not there. I don't exist. I'm not, I'm, I, I'm invisible. 
That's all I ask. And I will gladly accommodate her the same. And uh, the manager wrote me back and said that is more than reasonable and we'll see about getting that done. So that's the latest update. Your, your thoughts, gentlemen. Well, now you hold all the cards. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. You have documentation. And if this happens again, then you can say, hey, look what happened here. Someone suggested I should like look into this person's background or something. I, and I, you know, I got a lot of good suggestions. I will say this: I did. I want. I, I I found someone who both of us know, and I I did that because I needed to see. I, I don't want to miss. I really don't want to misjudge this person. I know I say incendiary things. I know I say unpopular things. And I know when I say them, I'm not always right. Which is why the first time she accosted me, it's why I, I, I let her go for several minutes before immediately bowling up on her. Because, you know, she, my, I wanted to see if she actually had a point, you know. And I wanted to make sure I'm not, I'm not gaslighting her, frankly. And... Uh, I'll just simply say I'm not this isn't unique behavior and I'll just leave it at that okay oh I never thought it was yeah yeah so that's the latest now this time of year because it's weird for me like in, in the in the when we have the late sunrises it doesn't matter what time I, I could go to bed at 7.30 at night if my alarm goes off and it's dark outside I'm exhausted on the other hand, if I get up and it's light outside, it doesn't matter if I went to bed at 2 a.m., I'm, I'm ready to go. So this time of year, now that it's earlier sunrises again, I'm contemplating I'm just going to go to the gym like an hour or so earlier than I typically do. And because I'm up earlier this time of year anyway, and see if, how long I can go just avoiding inhabiting the same space as this person for as long as possible. You think that's a good idea? If you really want to do that, don't do it just to avoid her. What Todd said. You know what the struggle for me here? Can I just? I'm just gonna be. (laughs) I'm gonna be brutally honest. I, I, I'm always honest, but now I'm gonna share my insecurity. I really am struggling to find what is the line between punking out and exposing myself to a situation. That could be the equivalent of Al Capone's tax evasion charge. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. What, what, what is that line? Because I'm not just a regular guy named Steve, and I hate that. Because in my mind, I kind of am. I live in the same house. I live in the same neighborhood that I lived in when, you know, I when uh, not many people know who I am now. Even fewer people knew who I was when... Uh, on the surface, a lot of my life isn't any different. We still homeschool... You know what I mean? It's not really that much different than what it was 10 years ago. I, I make more money now, but I, I don't, but it's not a life-changing amount of money either. It's a nice living, but it, not to the point I'm not living on a golf course. I'm not, you know, I don't have a summer home in, or a winter home in Texas. I, I, much of my life is not that demonstrably different than it was when I left Sports Talk Radio to go work for WHO in the afternoons full-time. So I live in the same community, everything. So in my mind, I'm just a regular guy named Steve. But I have to remember, though, given what I do for a living, that's, that's not entirely true. Because a regular guy named Steve is like, hell no, I'm not leaving this place. You're leaving. What are you talking about? I didn't do anything wrong. That's how, the, that's how Steve rolls. But I'm not necessarily just a regular guy. And, you know... This would not be the story on KCCI or the local WHO TV, you know, newscast one way or the other. It, the story in and of itself blowing up isn't good, regardless of what the outcome of it is. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out. So um, do I just walk away now every time someone's a d bag to me? Is that you know? Because my temperament is like, uh, no, we're not doing that. Uh, that's uh, that's a dude code violation. That's a dude code violation, and that's one. You know, what also is a dude code violation being an idiot and fighting over things that aren't 
in the end, even if you win the argument, what was the point of risking exposure to to it or exposing yourself for it? You know what I'm saying? Sure. So I'm trying to. This situation has me. I'm navigating. When am I punking out, and when am I being prudent? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Well, again, you at every turn in this situation, you've been accosted. Every every single time, this isn't. There's not gray area here. There wasn't just yeah. Well, you know, we both gave as good as we got or anything. No, it does not exist here. I just think based on every principle we live, uh, the advice that everybody is giving to just go pick another gym. Not a, not only a dude code violation, it's an entire worldview uh, uh, violation. We, no, here and no further. We 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 don't get pushed around. I just hope she doesn't follow through on her threat to tell Chuck Grassley and Joni Ernst on oh, me because yeah. we are in a contract year and things yeah. are really on the on the precipice right now. And that's the last thing I need is our team GOP overlords yeah. cracking down on us. Yeah. Anyway, let's get to Feedback Friday. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. By the way, most of the emails I got were from women about this hmm and all of them warning me <laughs> yeah oh, yeah well all the guys are like whatever i'm going to work out myself so <laughs> um this is from derek i'm a new listener love the show huge michigan fan so the fact you are too is only a bonus but that's not my reason for writing to you we do live in an infotainment world now as you have pointed out but I think people often forget just how new a lot of this is. The smart Foden hadn't yet seen a Republican president yet until 2017. Think about that for a minute. Yeah. Prior to 2008, we didn't have the iPhone on any wide scale. People didn't have information and current events at their fingertips. The reason people were less political back then was because they didn't have alerts in their pocket saying, did Bush authorize torture of innocent Muslims? Sure, people still read and watched the news, but it was much less immediate. I believe the smartphone and social media expedited the polarization of America. The polarization was always here. Technology just made it much more visible. And we are still seeing the environment adapt to this change. Prior to 2017 in the preceding campaigns, when have we seen such widespread information assaults on a Republican politician? It's all uncharted territory because Obama got a pass for eight years. We have yet to see what credibility hits mainstream will take or mainstream media will take or how tribal we will become. We may not be able to be polarized anymore, but we can certainly dig our heels in even more. And I suspect that's what will happen. People will choose sides and they will fuel their tribalism with infotainment. My biggest fear is the weaponization of information and data. Look what's happening in China with their social scores, like social credit rating from the government. We already have enough data on politics divide and the Democrat and demographics behind it that any true dictator would be able to purge the other side in a matter of no time with brutal efficiency. It may not happen in America, but it will happen somewhere. People leave too many fingerprints of everything. It will eventually be used for nefarious purposes, especially as people drift further apart. Eventually, an entrepreneur is going to create a university, except a technology, <clears throat> excuse me, that scores candidates by scouring big data, their search history, social media, etc., to determine social acceptability of job candidates based on progressive culture norms they're trying to manufacture in the workplace. Conservatives are going to lose out big time when this happens because the tech giants will ensure it happens their way. What Derek's brilliant email describes is an episode, maybe, maybe the best episode of Black Mirror. Maybe the best one. Now, you didn't see it, right? Because I stopped after the, the first one. I which is can't. one of the best episodes. Just can't. The first episode, if, if the one I'm about to describe is not the best episode of the show, the first one is. Deeply disturbing. And that's why it's called a Black Mirror. I mean, you know, do you know what a Black Mirror is? Yeah. Okay. It's like a weapon of the occult. All right. So that's what they mean by it. Um, that's why the first episode was very disturbing. If the first episode with the British Prime Minister and the pig isn't the best one, the one with Ron Howard's daughter, who's in the new Jurassic Park movies, what's her name? Bryce Dallas Bryce Howard. Bryce Dallas Howard. Thank you. Where she lives in an age 
in the not-too-distant future where we are judged by our social credit rating. And everybody has this on their phones. How polite are you at all times? How nice and compliant are you at all times? No conflict, no confrontation is permitted ever. You stiff upper lip and you smile at everything. You, you must take every slight as a backhanded compliment. And you are constantly judged on your social graces. That's exactly what Derek is describing. And that is in this, you need, you need to watch this episode. Okay, even if you don't watch any more episodes, this one you have to see. Okay, it Didn't is, I see it like a couple of days ago with Shania Twain? In a way, that's the way it's played itself out. You're watching it right now play itself out that way with Kanye West. And can I just clarify my position on this? I don't have a problem at all with using Kanye West as disturbed and dysfunctional of a personality as he is. But he's also one of America's biggest celebrities. We can't deny that. So I have no problem at all using his willingness, or at least apparent willingness. I'm always skeptical of these things. But I have no problem using his apparent willingness to think for himself to your benefit. The fact that he's pushing back and challenging the social justice warrior mob. on so, uh, I've, No problem at all cheering that on or approving of it. My problem is when you use that to then say, well, he's like our conservative spokesman now because we've done that a million times before. Some celebrity shows us a little, a little, lifts up their skirt and shows us just the slip. We don't even see the leg, man. We just need to see the slip. And we're like, hey, where's his book deal? And then there's the, I'm going to do this all day rather than talk about the fact we're trying to execute a child in Western civilization in broad daylight. That I have a problem with. Mm -hmm. What, but what Kanye West is doing right now and what happened to Shania Twain and I doubt the fact that, I doubt Kanye West is doing this on the heels of what happened to Shania Twain is mere coincidence. I doubt that. Now you've got Chance the Rapper. I didn't even know who these people were. I mean, I knew who Kanye West was. I've heard the name. Because he actually broke in in the early 2000s when I was still attempting to be cool. Hadn't given that up yet. I, I don't know what a Chance the Rapper is. I, I found that out yesterday. I don't know. It's another America. I'm old now. But, um... What's happening with them is this Bryce Dallas Howard episode of Black Mirror. And it's exactly what Derek is describing. Brilliant email, Derek. So is this one I wanted to share from Justin. I live in Cedar Rapids. I saw in our local business publication, the Corridor Business Journal, Something about the Wells Fargo shareholder meeting that was held in Des Moines this week. I investigated further to see if it was factual. Apparently, despite Wells Fargo raising its own internal minimum wage to $15 an hour after the tax cuts, there are multiple labor unions and, quote, consumer and community advocacy groups, unquote, calling for the bank to raise its minimum wage further to $20 an hour. They claim that Wells Fargo should do this because the CEO gets paid so much or something like that. While average CEO pay can be a different discussion, although I don't think what anybody makes is anybody else's business to begin with, that really has nothing to do with a company's pay for the lowest level employees. The Wells Fargo scandals also don't really have any place in the discussion for the starting wages of their low level employees. I have come to understand how leftists try to implement their ideology and the culture over the past year. So this doesn't surprise me. I just thought this was an interesting example you could possibly use on your show. The typical examples you see with them never, not ever being satisfied or with guns or, as you often say, an issue like gay marriage. If you concede even a little ground, they will then try and take a mile. We don't want to compromise on guns by allowing assault weapons bans because people who actually use guns understand the criteria they use to define assault weapons doesn't really differentiate those guns and their functionality from nearly all other guns. That's what Matthew McConaughey was saying yesterday, since we're talking up celebrities. Matthew McConaughey went to the you know, March for Our Lives demonstration in his home state of Texas and spoke at it. He's like, hey, I'm actually in favor of gun control and background checks and safety locks. Then he walked out of there saying, wait a minute, you guys aren't for gun control. You want to confiscate everybody's guns. Did you guys see that yesterday? No. 
Yeah, I heard about it. Yeah, McConaughey's like, yeah, I'm, I'm actually, an, I, I'm, I'm the liberal here. You guys are freaking Marxists. I'm, a, I'm, I'm okay if we bring back the Brady Bill. I'm all right with all that stuff. But you guys just, you want to take everybody's guns? You're not for. I'm the, I'm the only one here for gun control. <laughs> you guys are here for confiscation. No, that, that's not what you invited me to come and speak at. <laughs> That's what Justin Gingrich, who wrote us this note from Cedar Rapids, is talking about. So they would just use this ban to come for the rest of the guns once they got their first step. That's exactly right. Same with marriage. Didn't stop with legalizing other forms of marriage. Now, if you disagree, you must be made to agree and affirm it. This Wells Fargo thing may or may not be a small fringe group of people, but it still shows how they think and operate. It isn't good enough to just raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour, which was the arbitrary number. Can I state this was the number they remember the quote hashtag fight for 15 uh-huh. that went on for like three years, right? Wells Fargo, which, by the way, is a highly progressive company. Wells Fargo has sponsored the Rainbow Jihad March here in Des Moines for I don't know how many years now. They are a highly progressive company. They are. Uh, they have chosen sides. But there's never enough pounds of flesh. And they can't please their own base ever. And and so Starbucks, same thing. It's exactly. So you guys did hashtag fight for fifteen for three years. Wells Fargo says, you know what? You're right. We should pay everybody a minimum fifteen dollar wage. Well, now it's hashtag fight for twenty. And the next step will be Wells Fargo is going to have automated tellers when when you go to the bank because they just can't afford to pay people that. And you will have priced yourself right out of the market. Or your jobs go to Mexico. While the politicians, your progressive politicians keep voting for, keep importing more people from Mexico up here to take the jobs you're willing to do and drive the wages down further so you're no longer going to afford to do them. That sounds like a great economy, right? I basically just described uh, America last 25 years. Justin says he loves the show and he listens every day. That's a great observation by Justin right yes, there. It yeah, it is. All right, this one is kind of long. So I'm going to pull a Rubio here. <sighs> Refreshing sip of processed water. But given who wrote it and what it's about, I think it's important to share this, okay? Okay. Okay. So you guys pay attention, and then I want you to tell me your reaction after I read it to you, all right? I was listening to your podcast last Friday, and one of the topics you discussed was our Middle East policy. I find myself agreeing with your basic premise, which is basically, one, American foreign policy in the Middle East should be non-interventionist, except when you have a vested national interest at stake, such as a threat to the survival of Israel or ISIS planning attacks on the West from bases in Iraq or Syria. I'm not comfortable using the term non-interventionist, but because of the way you defined what the grounds are for interventionism, I will allow it. Is that, is you guys yep. okay with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but because we I, are not non-interventionist. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not non-interventionist as a blanket philosophy, right. nor am I interventionist as a blanket philosophy. But given what you define as the grounds for how we should intervene, I'm okay. I'll let your statement stand, given the context right. of it, okay? Two, even when intervening in the Middle East on valid concerns regarding America's national interest, we have done it wrong through ignorance, ineptness, and failure of execution. So why even try if we're just going to lose? If you aren't there to win, why even take the field? Agree with that. Three, the cultural, religious, ethnic, and historical tribal animosities that have plagued the region since time immemorial create a condition in which even adept policymakers will fail because of the law of unintended consequences. That is so well said. That's exactly right. Good intentions won't win here. Thus creating more fractures, such as with inserting parliamentarian government into Iraq, which led to the Shia-dominated government and eventually to Iranian domination. That's exactly right. Yes, exactly right. We didn't give them a Republican form of government with with representatives like we have. We gave them the parliamentarian system which allowed for the sectarian dominance in the culture to just trade the Bathist, blood-bathing Sunni terrorists for the Shia, Iranian, Mullah, Khomeini, Ayatollah terrorists. That's what we did in Iraq. 
I agree with all these caveats. My concern is basically, I didn't choose war with the jihadists. The jihadists chose war with me and my way of life. That's why we don't define ourselves as non-interventionists. This statement speaks to me not only as an American, but as a Christian. I'm a little bit younger than you, born in the mid-70s. I went to college late as I worked construction jobs after I got out of high school. I went to college so I wouldn't have to be swinging a hammer, carrying wood, and shoveling dirt all my life. When I was in college, 9-11 happened, and it had a profound impact on me as it did most Americans. I was already a conservative, kind of a marginal Christian, but the events of September 11th pushed me towards those two modes of belief all the more. I was born into a military family. I'd always considered the military as a way of life as a child. But this idea faded with youthful indiscretions and the end of history theory that resulted with the fall of the Soviet Union, where America was the lone superpower and we were entering an era of unprecedented prosperity and bliss. I never thought I'd have the opportunity to serve, let alone the need to. God had a different plan for my life. After I graduated college, I enlisted in the Marine Corps. I served as an infantry assaultman. Translation, I'm a badass. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's really what it, he doesn't want to say it. I'll say it for him. Okay. I deployed to Iraq twice with the Marine Corps with a 13th month deployment in and around Fallujah in 2007. That's Anbar province. That was the most violent fighting in Iraq. And a nine month deployment in 2008, 2009 to North Iraq on the Syrian border, training border police in and around Sinjar. I went back last year with an NGO, that's non-government organization, from February to May to try and help Christian militia. That's another story in and of itself. On my first deployment to Fallujah, I was part of a security detachment tasked with protecting a team called to dispose of IEDs. Up until June of 2007, we were going out at least once a day, and usually two or three times, and usually getting shot at on most excursions. Then in midsummer, everything started changing. We started winning the war, and by January of 08, we were walking, we were walking in downtown Fallujah without body armor and eating kebabs with some sheikh's nephews. At the beginning of my second deployment, Obama got elected. I decided to get out of the Marine Corps, even though I was offered the opportunity to go OCS, and was recruited by... Uh, essentially, um, a lead officer school. I think that's what that is an acronym for. This was probably the second best decision concerning my military career I made after deciding to join. On my second deployment, we would travel through Yazidi border towns. Al-Qaeda in Iraq, AKI, or AQI, which became the Islamic State of Iraq and later ISIS, used Sinjar as an entry point for jihadists to go from Syria into Iraq. We discovered a stash house containing 400 passports of jihadist suicide bombers, most from a town in Libya called Benghazi. AQI slash ISI considered Yazidis devil worshippers and persecuted them, machine gunning 200 Yazidis at a soccer field in Tel Afar. When we would ride through their towns, the little children would line the streets and shout USA and America as we drove by. They loved us, and my second deployment went by without one shot in anger or threat to life. When I think of those little Yazidi children, and then think how most of them were probably killed, raped, and sold into slavery when ISIS rolled through in 2014-15, it brings tears to my eyes. Because the war was won then. I saw this with my own eyes. When I went back last year to Iraq, I stayed in what had been the largest Christian-majority town in Iraq, Karakash, or Karakash, I think is how it's pronounced. Its inhabitants forced to flee, its buildings sacked, its churches had all been desecrated. I say all this to say this. This is a transnational war. We needed to wage war in Iraq because contrary to conventional wisdom, there were WMDs, enough nerve agent to kill hundreds of thousands of people, and a nexus between jihadist groups and Iraqi intelligence. Iraq or Pakistan probably provided the anthrax used in the attacks on the U.S. after September the 11th. It served as a battlefield where we could draw jihadists into the battlefield to kill them. We, well, I can't speak for Aaron. He's a different generation. But you and I, who remember all these debates very well, we would agree with every premise he has asserted so far. Oh, I'm... Right? I'm totally feeling where he's at. Okay. That said... I agree with the fundamentals of your Mideast policy. We waged war like fools. We spent a trillion dollars fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan when investment in intelligence would have been a better return on investment. A few well-placed rounds can solve even the most intractable problem. It has been illegal to carry out assassinations since the 70s, but in today's world against today's enemies, that law needs to be reversed. I have no problem whatsoever 
every time one of these molas shows their head, I have no problem blowing it off. I, I don't. No, my moral conscience would totally affirm that. Anyone want to argue with me on that? No. 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 As, long as, we, as long as we know that's who he is. I have no problem whatsoever. And they're not, they're not due, due process. They're not Americans. They're not, they're not even really subject to the Geneva Convention. They're enemy combatants. This isn't a national army, a sovereign nation of people we're up against. It's a wicked ideology. And I have no problem eliminating them at every opportunity. Again, I want to win. The opposite of what we've been doing the last several years. That's what I want to do. We need to wage war more like the Israelis do. Second, uh, rather than a large police force combating gangs or organized crime, it is a national disgrace that it took nearly 10 years to get Osama bin Laden, which shows how pathetic our intelligence agencies were and probably still are, judging by what's currently happening with the FBI. Yet another shooter they were warned about that they didn't stop. Happened just last week. Another one. And we still place too much reliance on electronic intelligence. A well-placed spy is worth a million men in the field. Blame on the George W. Bush administration and the GOP is well-deserved. They showed themselves to be what we've come to know them as now in domestic politics. Just simply not principled enough. If conservative at all, they're feckless, delusional, and failing to define the enemy, which is Islam as well as imputing their ideals onto others and loathe to confront the fifth column Democrat party. George W. Bush should have sealed the borders after 9-11 and put a near moratorium on all immigration, but instead he pushed for more amnesty. Let us not delude ourselves, though. The chief benefit from a national security standpoint of the war in Iraq is that it exposed the Democratic Party and the progressive left as the single greatest threat to the survival of America. I've studied this issue as much as any non-expert, and I can argue on this point or that point, but it comes down to this. War is coming. We can fight the jihadist over there or here in our streets, which is already starting to happen in Europe. Pardon me. Let me pause for a second. Jack Carr, the Navy SEAL, we interviewed this week on CRTV. Mm -hmm. When I asked him, what's the most common question you get? Who's that? And he said, people ask me what keeps you up at night, and what did he say? And he didn't say he didn't link it to our immigration policy, but that's how these people would get here. Mm-hmm. Basically, what he said was lax immigration policy and progressive multiculturalism and education and in our prisons create recruitment grounds that become battlegrounds. Recruitment grounds for radicalization that become battlegrounds. In other words, what happened in San Bernardino a couple of years ago. That's what he described. What continually goes on just a few hours north of our location in Minnesota hmm. with the with the vast populations of refugees who um, some of whom are not integrating into our culture. So many of them, um, you know, uh, relatively speaking, have been arrested for and and sentenced for joining ISIS or being tied to ISIS. That's- He finishes by saying this, Islam has known since the beginning that its main competitor is Christianity. They know that either they're right and Jesus wasn't crucified and Muhammad is Allah's prophet or Christ is the son of God and was risen on the third day. And they aim to prove themselves right by killing or converting the whole world to their beliefs. If you think he's harsh, this is the history of this religion. All of the places you now consider, well, I shouldn't say all, many of the places you now consider, if you're an average person, that you consider to be the enclaves of Islam. Jordan, for example. Petra is in Jordan. That is where the early Christians fled the sacking of Jerusalem by Hadrian and General Titus, the Emperor Hadrian and his son-in-law, the General Titus in 70 AD. Syria. Paul, when he encounters the risen Christ, he's on the road to where? Damascus. Where's Damascus? Syria. Syria. Where were believers? Where were Christ followers? They didn't call themselves Christians. They called themselves the way, followers of the way. Where was the first place they were called Christians? Where? Syria. Syria. Antioch, a a city in Syria. At the end of the Bible, Jesus, through the, the apostle John, writes seven letters 
to churches of consequence in a place called Asia Minor. Turkey. That's Turkey. You've heard of Coptic Christians. These are some of the earliest sects of Christianity. They're based where? Egypt. Egypt. Assyrian Christians, they, they might, there's some evidence they might even be more ancient than Coptic Christianity. They are from where? Iraq. Iraq. And one of the most ancient enclaves of Christianity outside of Jerusalem, country you may have heard of. It's called Lebanon. What changed? I ask you, student of history, progressive enlightened one, what changed these ancient civilizations inspired by Christianity to adopt Islam? Did they have a vote? Did Islam send missionaries? Jobs programs. Uh, jobs programs. They just knocked on enough doors on a Saturday afternoon. And people are like, you know. Pamphlets. Yes. Yeah, I think that. I'm, Pamphleteering. Yeah. Like Lyndon LaRouche's cult followers, they hung out at airports in Asia Minor, handing out pamphlets to commuters. What changed? Where did the curved sword come from? Why did, why did the Muslims invade Jerusalem where Muhammad never actually even set foot? Do you know the answers to any of these questions? No. Many of you don't. <clears throat> Tragically, even many of you who understand and agree with what we're telling you, you don't even know this history. It's been scrubbed. Like Alfie Evans' hashtag was scrubbed off Twitter this week. It's been scrubbed. Because it doesn't fit the narrative. As Christians, we believe we must adopt the mantra, go forth into the world with the book of the word of the Lord in one hand to preach to the unbelievers and a sword in the other to defend the faithful. That said, our immediate problem isn't the followers of Muhammad, but the members of his political wing inside our own walls. P.S. I have the utmost respect for you guys and your show. You're doing a great service to the faith and to the country. And... That's from Terry. I'm just going to say that. Leave his name there. Man, Terry, A, the fact that you are a fan of anything that I'm involved with is humbling for me. It's an honor to receive that level of correspondence. And I hope, at least for my part, in what you heard from us, that what you are summing up is exactly what I meant last time. And the point I was trying to make when I said, based on everything we're doing now, our lack of clarity, our lack of resolve, our lack of sense of purpose, the right thing right now may be to pull back and get out. That being said, the right thing tomorrow may be to get right back in because and that's where you put the label on it, dominionist, but no, this religion will not let you go away and run and hide. It, will, it, it, it won't. That's not what it is about. So what you are, you are being both wise as, er, uh, as serpents and innocent is doves in your analysis. And that's why we go right back to the beginning. There is no way to be non-interventionist with this enemy. None. There, the, the, you, and it's ironically, it's the exact same way with progressivism. Same way. You can't be left alone. You won't be left alone, which goes back to the previous letter you just talked about. Uh, we, we, let, we let the Boston Marathon bomber go back and forth. Yeah. And blow up, blow up one of America's cherished sporting traditions. Yeah. There is no intention of leaving us alone. It's contrary to the mission of their religion. They will not. Make peace with that. That's the start. Yeah, and uh, I'd echo what Todd said as far as <clears throat> correspondence with uh, with Terry. It's it's an honor to hear from him and to hear his analysis. And this again comes down to a clash of worldviews. And I want to remind you that the only reason why progressivism this is the only only reason. Why progressivism acts so accepting of Islam is because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And the enemy of progressivism 
is and always has been Christianity. It's not that they have anything in common with Islam or that they have a special affinity for Islam or that they legitimately think that Islam has been oppressed. No, it's none of that. It's because they know that the driving forces between, uh, uh, behind Islam hates you and they hate you. We have to learn that lesson. And that will require a long, well, it'll require us accomplishing to progressivism what progressivism has done to our culture. And that is a march through the institutions. Terry, if you're listening right now, um, pardon me, if you're listening right now, I've shared this before. I'm going to, I'm going to share it again because our show continues to grow. We get new listeners here on the podcast and at CRTV every day. Early in my uh, news talk radio career, I interviewed the, uh, and I wish I remember his name, I don't. He, he was the number two man at CENTCOM after 9-11. It was General Franks and then him. He was next in line behind Tommy Franks at CENTCOM. And he, uh, I mean, there was a conference call on September 12th about what to do next. And, and it's, it's Tommy Franks, it's Dick Cheney, it's Condoleezza Rice, it's Colin Powell, it's George W. Bush, and this guy. Okay? So he's in some pretty elite company in the decision-making model. And I interviewed him about a book that he had written about his experience um, shortly after Mission Accomplished and all of that went down. It was very early in my news talk career. And we were, we were just... We had held off, if you'll recall the history, we had held off basically cleaning up Fallujah and Anbar province until after the 2004 election because we knew it was going to be very bloody. And let's face it, I think our politicians, particularly the Republican ones running for re-election, were concerned about having a a mass casualty event before the election. And I I mean, it seemed like 15 minutes after Bush won re-election, we went into Fallujah, all right, and and took took the bad guys on. And... At the time I, t- I moved into News Talk Radio was the summer of 2006, and Iraq was just beginning to descend into some of the quagmire stuff. And this general's book had come out, and I was interviewing him, and I, as a final question, I asked him, hey, what if our premise that they want freedom to they want KFC drive-throughs. You know, Britney Spears was the bomb.com back then. They want Britney Spears, and they want our our new uh, new age internet porn. What if what if what if it turns out what we call freedom and prosperity they don't want? What if we go down this road of nation building, and that's they don't want to build the kind of nation we want to help them build. What if we find that out? And I will never forget this. There was a pregnant pause on the other line. And the reason why I felt free to ask him about this is because he was very, we got along very well. He was very gregarious, very friendly. I have no idea what kind of badass he was at CENCOM, but on on this interview, we were pals. So I felt like it was kind of safe for me to ask a contrarian question, you know? Because you also don't want to be disrespectful of, you know, one of your nation's military leaders at a time you're at war at the same time. And this was the first time he had been anything other than essentially like a, a buddy. There was a pregnant pause. And in radio, you know, those might be a second and a half, but they feel like the dead air feels like eternity when you're on there. When you're the one hosting the show, you're like, should I say something? Should I do something? And he said very quietly, he said, well, then there's the zero option. That, that was his answer. Yeah. All I know about the military, I, I basically learned from my father-in-law who spent 20 years in the 101st Airborne secondhand. I don't, I don't know what that means. I'm like, well, you know, what's the zero option? And there was another pregnant pause. And he said, well, a lot of people are going to die. And that conversation has never left me my entire career. Because I, I, I thought this in the aftermath of it. And then the way things have turned out, that conversation took place almost 12 years ago. 
the way things have evolved over the last 12 years have confirmed my original suspicions. We engaged in projection in the Bush era. We engaged in the very magical thinking, Todd, you have trashed, rightfully so, Marie Harf for throwing out there for the last several years. I mean, her version of they just need a jobs program is the same of they need freedom and democracy. It's just a, you know, it's just another variation of the same theme. That progressive form of enlightened Western progressive social theory can fix 1,200 years of sectarian violence over whom did Muhammad pick as his rightful heir. We're going to fix all that. And what what does a book allegedly um, chronicling the words and exploits of a man who could not read or write and wasn't composed in written form until hundreds of years after his death. What does it and does it not say? They, they, have been, they have been destroying each other over these sand dunes since the United States of America was a gleam in the creator's eye. More than a thousand, for almost a thousand years before the pilgrims, just by luck, landed at Plymouth Rock. I mean, Isabel and Ferdinand, I believe, were the first royalty in Spain to come out of the, the post, correct me, my Catholic history, Todd, but I believe they were the first Spanish monarchy post-Muslim con- more conquest of Portugal and Spain. I'm not, I mean, you're in the ballpark. Huh? Yeah. If they weren't, they were amongst right. the, the right. first generations that came out of that. And, you know, they're the, they commissioned Christopher Columbus to send off to the well, new world. At the you're describing why they could take their eye off one ball and move on to another. I mean, that that is exactly what happened. They had finally put a, a constant threat to bed and could now look uh, uh, to the uh, 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 west instead of to the east. And who was the constant threat? Islam. Islam was. Rome didn't really end with the Visigoths, the Germanic hordes coming over the wall. When did Rome really end? The sacking of Constantinople, which is where? Turkey. In Turkey. And it's now called Istanbul. Who changed the name? Did they have a vote? No, Muslim, Muslims changed the name. Well, Steve, these were Muslims freeing Muslims. I, actually, no. Uh, out of that ending of the Byzantine Empire, the last remnant of Rome, came the Ottoman Empire. And what those Muslims who were freeing fellow Muslims did is they proceeded to enslave their fellow Muslims till well into the 20th century that kingdom lasted, all the way into World War I. Why are you so divisive, it was one of the It was one of the armies opposed to the allies, and World War I was the Ottoman Empire. Guys. That's just 100 years ago. That was just in the last century. God bless, there's this moderate, and I, you know I don't like this term, so if I'm using it, I'm, I'm buying into it for once. There's this moderate Muslim Egyptian media guy. I've shared the clip of him saying this on my Twitter feed the other day, and he said, why are we so eager to strike back up a caliphate? Have you guys all forgotten how ruthless the Ottoman Empire was? They killed as many of us as the white colonial European devils did. Why, why are we eager to return to that? God bless him. That's your Egyptian Kanye West right there. That's a guy that that's a guy that freaking cracked open a history book once and read it. That's quite a handle right there. The Egyptian Kanye West. That's a guy I, I don't know if I agree with him. I, there might be 15 existential issues and him and I disagree on 14, but by golly, I can I can share a world with a guy that will at least open a history book and read it. For what it says, not what he wants it to say. This is what we did post-9-11. We projected. Our interests were, instead of ending immediate threats to the United States, how do we create long-term stability in the region? Oh, that's a different question, folks. That's a different question. One that's unanswerable. Because you're dealing with a theology and remnants of it, and sex of it, and offshoots of it. We have been projecting all this time. I don't call Islam a false religion because my heart does not break for those Muslim children that Assad gassed last week. But because I do, 
the same core worldview is what created both the victim and the perpetrator and what that fiend did. And I would have no problem whatsoever slitting his throat on the internet for all to watch for doing it. I would not bat an eyelash. Well, Steve, what would Jesus say? Go into Canaan. Slaughter everything you see, these idolaters, these child sacrificers, these demonic worshipers. They have soiled this land. I give it to you, my covenant people, the Jews. And all I ask in return is you cleanse it for me. That's what he would say because he said it once before. And when he returns, it will not be to dispense more of your fake progressive social theory or Che Guevara in first century Jewish garb. It will be in a robe dipped in blood and a sword and words on his thigh that only he understands and can pronounce. And he will rage against the nations. He will bring them to his submission. That's what Jesus would say. The only thing that beats a bad theology is a good one. See, I was all for freedom and democracy in the Middle East because I didn't think we really believed it. I, I didn't think we believed it. I thought it was a shell. I thought it was a red herring. I thought it was to essentially establish a pro-American front. Because if you look at Iraq's borders, what countries does it border? Pretty much all the ones that are a major threat to us right now. It is very, it's strategically very well placed. So what better place to essentially put up an American satellite state where from now on you want to blow up our towers. We don't have to spend three months right. militarizing at the border of Qatar. We have some B, we have, we have, we have B1s. It's, it's a 10 minute flight. And it'll be like, oh man, you, look, your Islamic temple was there yesterday. And amazingly, you woke up this morning and it's smoldering ash. And if you do that again, there'll be more of that. Message sent, thanks, have a nice life till Allah we said hello. See, that's what I thought we were going to do. Right. I actually thought we were going to do this stuff the liberals blamed the Bush administration for trying. I thought that's what we were going to do. That's why I was in. Yep. yep we're going to confiscate their oil. We're going to sell it back to them. We're going to sell it to ourselves cheap. We'll give them the money, buy them off with it. And we're going to create, we're essentially just going to buy off a, a pro-American government. We'll just create an American satellite state and we'll just have permanent forces there, small tactical units that every time you F with us, we will make you wish your dad wore a condom that night in the name of Allah. That's what I thought we were going to do. Me too. Everything the MSNBC crowd thought Bush was trying to do is exactly why I wanted to go. That's what I thought we were going to do. And we didn't do any of it. We actually believed this poop. When Bush stood up there at his second inaugural address and equated the words of Muhammad with Moses in the stone tablet and Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount, it turns out he actually believed in all that coexist crap. And it's been our undoing ever since. Because you know who believes, who really believes in that stuff? The president who came afterwards and his, his ilk and his ideology. And now they're still all over the State Department. That's your deep state. The deep state, guys, is not some nefarious grouping of um, Rothschild Institute elites that Alex Jones only knows the names of. The deep state is the pervasive infiltration of progressive, statist, globalist ideology into all of America's power structures, and they will resent anything that pushes back on it. The same impulse that has British hospitals saying we will not send Alfie home because it would expose the fallacy of our entire scam here that we're not the smartest people in the room. So the child must die. Better for one man to die, one child to die, than for our whole scam here to perish, Caiaphas says. That same spirit of Caiaphas in the British healthcare system is, the, is really what we mean by deep state. It is we can progressivism is the heresy of the age. It is the spirit of the age. It cannot be proven wrong. It will not be proven wrong, despite all evidence to the contrary. And we don't care how many innocent Muslims, Christians, or soldiers, atheists, or any other ilk have to die. We will cling, Golem will cling to the precious by his cold, dead fingers. And so will you with yours. And if you're not willing to do it voluntarily, well, then you will be made to care. That's your deep state. 
Anything that asserts the sovereignty of the United States. Anything that says cultures are not equal and some cultures are better than others. Anything that seeks to limit the size and scope of government. Contrary to progressive utopian schemes, that's your deep state. That's what you're up against. It is not a faction. It's a philosophy. It's an ideology. And it is legion. And it is legion, indeed. Final thoughts, gentlemen. Well, man, Terry, you may have deserved a, a guest spot on this show, man. I, I, I'm inspired just from hearing Steve read your letter, man. Um, I mean, you're the you're the kind of dude dudes like us want to be, man. Um, I mean, from beginning to end, uh, on how you've the clarity with which uh, you've lived your life, your sense of purpose. I just think that needs to be said again. Um, and being a grown man in that understanding where there's a time for obvious and clear-headed answers and the time when there's nuance um and and uh being willing to find and strike the balance um that that's good for us all this is an undeniably messy situation and a grown man at the very least accepts that for what it is and doesn't try to be too smart by half by making it too neat and tidy where it can't be or just refusing as steve just laid out to look the god's honest truth the one that slaps you in the mirror and you know it slaps you in the mirror but you just refuse to embrace it because it's too hard to admit i the lessons you've offered our audience uh i could go on and on uh but i i really thank you for the blessing of your correspondence i have uh, if if we literally had spent we can't even foment dissent in iran our sworn enemy most of you and i you and i were what five six years old when the shah was toppled by ayatollah uh 79 so i was six years old yeah aaron was not were your parents married in 1979 aaron oh i don't know yeah no yeah they would have been just just barely yeah okay so this country has been our sworn enemy all of our combined essentially our combined lives we won't even foment dissent when hundreds of thousands of their people take to the streets last winter. We won't encourage that. And I point that out to say this. I, have, I, I, would, I would be in favor of going in and cleansing that region of every single one of these tyrants. My heart breaks what they do to their people regardless of what religion they are, what belief system they have. You love your neighbor as you love yourself. But here's the problem. If we can't even foment civil dissent on the streets of Tehran when it's to our benefit, and it's a country that has been our consistent enemy for going on four decades, I am not confident. We were on the wrong side of the Arab Spring. We got Benghazi because we stirred up the Arab Spring in Libya. We stirred up the Muslim extremists. We actually preferred the Muslim extremists to take charge in Egypt over al-Sisi, who seems to be bending over backwards as much as anybody who claims to worship Allah in the Middle East right now to be our buddy. We're bad at this. And so I'm not confident that what we would put in place or what would take their place would be better. That's my, that's my argument against what we're doing. The results of our philosophy have failed. Now, I, that doesn't mean I buy into a new dogma. Because, I've, because the neocon way has failed, I don't believe that this is the 18th century. We're not, we're not surrounded by oceans that people can't invade. They can wage, wage cyber warfare. We have porous borders. The same libertarians that want, and I say this with a lot of my friends are libertarians, but the same libertarians that want uh, non-interventionism are the same ones that, aren't for, that want open borders. And think that uh, the United States is a planetary constitution and illegal aliens get habeas corpus rights. No. No. I can't. All those things are an invitation to infiltration and invasion. Every last one of them are. And you will simply take the failures of the neocons over there and import them here. We'll get get the bird's eye view of, of, of failing then. We need a non-dogmatic view. We need to stop projecting who we think these people are. 
and look at history from an objective viewpoint who tells us what it really is. Concoct a strategy, not based on who you want these people to be or who you think they might be 25 years from now if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're just nice enough to them, but who they really are and what they have been for generations and eons. Start there, and then there might be some good guys. I just saw the, you know, earlier this winter, I went and saw the movie 12 Warriors about the first specialist that went into Afghanistan after 9-11. Great movie. They go in there, and you see Chris Hemsworth and the rest of the, the rest of the cast. They go in there. They have to learn who these people really are. Learn their customs. They're not there to bring freedom and democracy to Afghanistan's parking lot. They're there to kill the people that did 9-11 to us. Start with an objective view of history. Start by taking people at face value, and that may show you actually value their lives. They're not pawns in your utopian progressive schemes. Show us you really believe in diversity. Hell, at this point, rather than talking about how many, rather than bringing up again there aren't any Christian churches in Afghanistan, how about we just seek religious freedom and plurality within Islam? Start there, maybe. Then we can talk about sending evangelists and missionaries in after that. I'll settle. I'll settle for them tolerating each other. Start with that. Because even before Israel was returned in 47 or the U.S. cared, they hated each other and killed each other far better than we ever were at it. Start being honest. And then, once you show me you're honest, then you can concoct a strategy to actually win. Until then, our best strategy is simply this. Mess with us, you're dead. Like us, you're rich. That's it. That's your strategy. You get rich with us or you're dead. That's pretty much it. Leave us alone, we leave you alone. Mess with us, um, we eliminate you. We have no other strategy until we can actually see who are, the Kurds have, have bled for the interest of the American people all of Aaron's life. And what have they gotten out of it? Nothing. Nothing. While well, we bring Turkey and their sworn enemy into NATO. I mean, just nothing. I'm I'm not I'm not non I'm not a non-interventionist. I'm not a neocon. I'm a non-loser who doesn't like seeing innocent lives killed to accomplish nothing. Nothing. Aaron, your final thought. This is probably a whole nother podcast, but I think you can probably draw a direct line from the state of masculinity in our culture to foreign policy and really any other area where people have to make decisions and where leadership is needed and where we have to be decisive and we have to take action and have to plan ahead and think ahead. Instead, I go back to this again. We have passive-aggressive foreign policy where we project our own best interests or uh, you know best intentions upon others and we project our own worldview upon others and we have again the best intent that is never going to work because the state of masculinity if it's anything in our culture right now it is extremely passive aggressive and yes you go to boot camp you get yelled at, you become, um, you go from enlisted, you become an officer, you become a general, and you start making these decisions about foreign policy, but still, it's not, it's systemic. There's, there's no amount of training that will wash that punk off of each, I think, uh, so many of the people who are calling the shots. That is how systemic I think the breakdown of masculinity is in our society. And again, that's a tangent. It's probably a whole nother podcast. 
but it does lend itself to so many of these problems are a direct result of us not knowing who we are and needing revival. It's a great point. Great point. Yep. Well said. Well, thanks for tuning in here on this Feedback Friday. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the Avengers at least twice. I probably will. Until Monday, John 317. This is Steve Dace. I like it, you.